Alrighty, welcome to scaling and Beyond and Eight Figures. Is hard. Steve Olsher so hanging out with Richie Ote. What's up, baby? Alright, alright. Mary Goulet is actually in Florida to answer in August at a wedding. Go figure. Uh, alright, well, have fun out there, Mary Goulet. We love you. And uh, we've got under control in the studio until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Here on Beyond Eight Figures, we sit down with entrepreneurs who've either exited for more than $10 million or currently run $10 million plus businesses and try to get to the bottom of what it really does take to start and scale. And in, well, some cases exit a business. And it's not every day that you get to sit down with someone uh, that has achieved billionaire status. As a matter of fact, uh, I know there's a lot more in the world now than there ever were before um, but let's, uh, so Naveen Jain is joining us today. Na- Naveen, how many, uh, do you know how many billionaires there actually are in the world? And by the way, is that billionaire like on paper or is that like billionaire cash? I have no idea what you're talking about. The only <laughs> way I know how to define your success really is about how many billions of people's lives you actually have a positive impact on. Yes. Because at the end of the day, money doesn't really define your success. There's no amount of money in the bank uh, that actually can tell you that you've really done anything meaningful in your life until you actually do something meaningful in your life. Yeah, well, point well taken. So. We are hanging out today with Naveen Jain, N-A-V-E-E-N-J-A-I-N. And if you're unfamiliar with Naveen, you're in for a real treat here because, well, when you when you look up the word entrepreneur in the dictionary and you see a picture of somebody, this is the, the personification of what being an entrepreneur really is all about. And so, Naveen, I really just want folks to have a clear understanding, though, first out of the gate here, of how you meet the criteria for being a guest on Beyond Eight Figures. Did you exit for more than $10 million? Do you currently run a business that grosses more than $10 million annually or all of the above? Well, all of the above. But really, again, I mean, I want to focus more on what other people can learn from uh, each one of us. And it's really not just about money. Because when people start to focus on money, they always end up falling in the same trap. So to me, the making money is like having an orgasm. If you focus on it, you're never going to get it. Mm. So the only way you want to get that is when you enjoy the process. That means do things that you actually care about. And when you do that, everything else falls in place, right? So to me, it's really the focus on money is really the wrong focus. And people who focus on it never get it. Right. And, and look, man, I, I totally get that. But reality is the people who say that are the people who have it. So, you know, it's the people who are struggling and trying to figure out how to really start and scale that, uh, unfortunately, it's just not that easy for them to set. Well, you know, let me make it easy then. Please. Let me, I'm, I'm going to help you get through that. And to me, um, it is not about the people who don't have it. I grew up poor. I didn't have a place to eat, a place to sleep. I didn't have a food to eat. And it really comes down to is that finding your true, not just a passion, but obsession. What is it that you obsess about in your life? And the best way to find what you really care about is to start to go backward. That means If you had a billion dollars, if you had a loving family, if you had everything that you always wanted in life, what would you do? And if you do that today is what's going to allow allow you to get everything that you want. And the other thing is really find out what is it that you're willing to die for? 
and then live for it. And that's how you find what you're actually going to wake up every morning, jump out of the bed at 4 a.m. and say, I am living a dream. And that's how you make money. Yeah. All right. Look, I, I totally get that. And just for a specific sake, what business did you exit for more than $10 million and what was the exit amount? I'm sorry. I'm just not going to discuss all that. That just to me just really a meaningless, uh, meaning, meaningless information. Okay. So what, what is the business now that you run that, that does gross more than $10 million annually? I, I think, Steve, if you're going to keep focusing on money, I think this interview is over. Okay, so I'm just so the purpose of this show is to really help people to start and to scale uh, and potentially to exit a business. So what I'm trying to understand and really help our okay, audience I think understand. Steve, I think actually, Steve, I think maybe we should just end this interview and find a new guest because this is just not my thing. It's not your. I just so I just want to understand yeah. what the current business is though that you're involved in. I, yeah, but that, I mean, that is something anybody can read. I mean, it's not like a lot. I could tell you that. Of course, I started InfoSpace, and it's uh, obviously the company is still a public company worth multi-billion dollars. So I, but the fact is, I just don't want to focus on me and my businesses. I want to focus on the lessons and the things I can impart to everyone who's listening to this podcast and just take the focus away from me uh, to more on learnings. I, I have a question, Naveen. This is uh, my name is Richard here, and when when you're first thinking about this, um, how you're going to help others, right? Mm-hmm. And and I like the way you worded that in the beginning. Instead of thinking of the billion dollars, how you're going to help a billion people. So, what is it that helped you think that big? Be- because kind of to Steve's point, only for a teeny bit of money, most people are so worried about that they get stuck in the money part, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is it that helped? you or could help others focus on the bigger picture and then reverse engineer back what that actual thing might be? Yeah. So that I think is a really good question because if you think about, if you want to really do well in life, the best way to do that is to do a tremendously good in life. That means the bigger, bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunities. If you can find a product, a solution that is somehow going to help a billion people, there's no doubt in my mind you can create an amazing enterprise from it. And the reason is that doing good and doing well are not mutually exclusive. The best way to do well is to do good. And the best way to do good is to do well. And that really needs to come together. And that's the reason I say focus on what are the biggest problems that is facing humanity. And if you start to solve those problems, those are, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar problem. So if you want to be a billionaire, all you have to do is solve a $10 billion problem. And those are the problems we should really be thinking about. And even if you make a tiny dent in the universe, you have an amazingly great company. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's really the right way of thinking is that the reason we always fall into the same trap is we have this mindset of a scarcity. We believe the things that we want somehow are the reason we they have value is because they are scarce. What if you can create this mindset of abundance that shows that everything that we want in life, what if they were so abundant that they lose value? And, you know, the best way to think about that is that, you know, people today value things that we fight over, such as land, water, energy, because somehow we believe they are available only in finite quantity. 
And someone will tell you that humans are just greedy, that it doesn't matter how much we have, we always want more. And that's the reason we fight over things, mm-hmm. right? But that is just not true because we all, you and I both know that, you know, 70,000 of us can sit in a stadium and cheer for a game and we never fight over air. We never fight over oxygen because we inherently believe there's plenty of air for everyone in the audience. So guess what happens? We can all enjoy without slapping the guy next to us and saying, hey, move away. You're taking my oxygen. It's my air. Right. And, you know, because it is in abundance. Now, imagine if the energy was in the same abundance that no one ever have to worry about how much we have because everybody has it is is democratized and is demonetized. That means available to everyone. It's available for free. And what if the food was the next air? What if the water was the next air? Even if we create just the abundance of energy, and imagine every 90 minutes, more solar energy falls on planet Earth than we use in the whole year. It's simply a matter of conversion, and the technology is going to come about that's going to make it possible. For the same thing you can think about that a couple of hundred years ago, the most valuable metal used to be aluminum, not platinum, not gold. It was so valuable that even the tip of the Washington Monument is made of aluminum because we wanted to show people, Britishers, that we have arrived. Mm, yeah. It used to be so expensive because it was never available in a pure form. It was available only in the form of bauxite, and extracting the aluminum from bauxite was very expensive until the technology called electrolysis came about, and it became so cheap that we threw it away. Now, what is the electrolysis of solar power? What is the electrolysis that we can use for fusion energy? That means imagine if we go to the moon and we are able to get helium-3, that a small quantity of helium-3 could power this planet for generations to come. A tiny quantity in a fusion resource, a fusion reactor. So the point is, all those things that we fight over, if we really start to think about how to solve them, Suddenly, we are able to not only create a very large company, we can also help billions of people around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Let, and I want to take a step back here. And obviously, I'm not trying to offend. And I understand that there's sure. certain things that you don't want to talk about. And I appreciate you sticking with the interview here. And I put out the question uh, to our community here in terms of what question would they have for you if they had a chance to sit down with you. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do want to get to a number of those questions. Sure. But I think they're more in line with what it is that you would like to focus on, and we will definitely get to that. I I just want to take a step back, though, to you said you grew up very, very poor, and Mm -hmm. so you did not have money. Mm -hmm. I I want to understand how you then started a business without having what others would say are are the resources that you need to start a business. So can you just at least take us back through how you started that business without having the resources that other folks would say, hey, you need to have this to start a business? Well, it's, yeah, it's really simple is that you start to focus on uh, taking a small bit of money that you have and really batting on yourself and creating a business that can essentially bootstrap. And the idea of bootstrapping is that you use the $10 to generate $11 and use the $11 to generate 15 and you take 15 to generate 25 and then suddenly you can keep moving forward, right? So, you know, at the first business I started, we actually used our own savings to get the things going and then build a very profitable business. And it so happened that business became amazingly successful. And the reason was because we were focused on a big problem. 
So in our first business, we said, you know, in those days, it was seven years before the first smartphones came about. And I simply thought there has to be in year 2000, there is an interview on Washington Post that you can Google. And it is essentially my talk, conversation with Leslie Walker at Washington Post. It says, uh, one day we are going to have a phone that is going, you're going to be able to get your email, contact, calendar, weather, and stock code. And you'll be able to use your phone to make a payment instead of credit card. And when you drive by the Starbucks, it will know where you are and it will give you a coupon for a Starbucks. And at that time, the interviewer told me that it was a crazy idea that will never happen in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that happened seven years later. So I built a company simply on a conviction that that was going to happen. Now, it's not that I had any crystal ball. To me, it was obvious. That was not obvious to everyone. In those days, everyone carried a Palm Pilot. Uh, and sure. everyone used to have a phone, the flip phone, the Motorola Star Trek phone. That used to be the most fancy phone there is. And everyone had a pager. And I thought, what if these devices could be combined together? And everyone thought, how are you going to get your email on your phone? That's a tiny flip phone. It has a small screen. How are you going to ever get your email on that phone? And my thought was, what if someone put a phone on a Palm Pilot? And that was a simply a re, re, different way of thinking about the same problem. And that's exactly what happened. The so iPhone was really a, basically a pump pilot with a phone built in, right? Mm -hmm. and, and to my point was that every time you look at how you look at the problem is really what ends up defining what the solution is going to be. So to me, the biggest thing you look at the stuff is when you see a problem, you need to understand if this is a problem everyone wants solved, that means there is a massive market for it. And then you start to think about, is the problem that you're trying to solve, is it really the symptom of the problem or is it a root cause of the problem? And let me define what I mean by that is. So let's assume you say uh, lack of fresh water is one of the biggest problems facing humanity. And you start to say, you know what, I have some ideas how I should go about solving this problem. I can come up with some type of a nano filter. When you drink through it, it automatically removes all of the, uh, you know, all of the particles and you can actually get a clean, fresh water just simply having the straw. Until you realize the fresh water really is not the problem because it's simply a symptom because majority of the fresh water is used for agriculture. And if somehow I can solve the problem of agriculture by creating aquaponic or aeroponic uh, agriculture, and you say, you know what? Now I have really solved the problem. Until you realize that majority of the agriculture is actually used to feed the cattle. And if all people want to eat is beef, what if I can take a stem cell of a cow and convert that simply into muscle tissues that people want to eat? Then I can now not only solve the problem of providing abundance of beef, I also now have all of the agriculture that was used to feed the cattle that can be used for humanity. Yeah. At the same time, now you also have abundance of fresh water. So suddenly you start to see, when you start to think about what are the root causes of the problem, you start to see the pattern of how you would solve them. Yeah. Because you don't have to come up with the technology and a solution. A lot of smart people in the world can do that. Your job is to define the problem correctly because solutions can be done by anyone. So let, let's take a step back, and thank you for that. Let's take a step back then to this idea of putting 
you know, basically, uh, you know, the phone with the email and so on. I mean, it was great, obviously. You had a, a phenomenal vision for what could be. This was something, though, that didn't exist. You, to develop something of that nature, I mean, you need a significant amount of capital to be able to do that. How did you get people to buy into that vision? Was it just, take us through that process of what you need to do to get people to buy into a vision. Yeah, so again, um, people don't, you know, generally people don't want to invest in a product or a service. And sure, there are people who want to always know what product or service you're building. But people always want to buy into a vision. And let me tell you a simple example of the current company that I'm running. The company called Wyom, that's V as in Victor, I-O-M-E. We started out understanding what is it that making people sick. And we thought, if what if we can do some type of a microbiome test, understand what's going on inside your gut. And if we could do that, that would be a game changer. Now, we did not go out and say, Wyom is a gut testing microbiome company. We simply set out a vision that says, imagine living in a world where chronic illness is optional. So imagine a world where being sick is simply a matter of choice, not a matter of bad luck. And that vision is what guides us every single day. An interesting thing was that allows us to see what are the problems we are actually focusing on. And that's the vision that allowed us to raise as much money as we needed. So in the, even in the you know, time I started the company, we were able to raise $21 million in the first, first Series A. And we just finished raising another 50. The point is, the people willing to invest in that because it's the big problem that we defined. We didn't go out and say, we can do a gut test. We can do a microbiome test because then people would say, you know, you're just one of many. Mm. But what people really thought was such a unique thing was to say, oh, my God, they are going after the whole pharmaceutical industries that essentially thrive on keeping people sick. So we all know the pharmaceutical companies have really become parasite on humanity. And I really believe that humanity will come together to kill these parasites. The only reason we get chronic diseases is because we have chronic inflammation. And the reason we have a chronic inflammation is because we have a essentially imbalance of the gut microbiome. And understanding of that was a key. I am not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But guess what? Once I start to see what the patterns were, and I'm going to give you some of the tricks that you asked me about, how do I go about doing it? In this particular case, as you can imagine, that since I have no knowledge of it, I spent the first few months just simply delving into this area. And that means I probably read 20 books on this subject. I went to Twitter and I set up my feed that has all of the microbiome journal, every scientific journal from science to nature to everything. And when I get up at 4 a.m., I spend the first three hours simply learning about what is the latest research that's coming out that's showing what is going on. And once it became clear to me that really the research is clearly showing that it doesn't matter whether you have the names like Parkinson's, Alzheimer, or depression, or anxiety, or autoimmune diseases, or obesity, or diabetes, or cancer. All of these diseases, whether you call them IBS, IBD, they all start in the gut. Interesting thing is, this is something we knew 
thousands of years ago. Remember, Hippocrates, Hippocrates said, he was a doctor. He said, all diseases begin in the gut. And then he was so smart, he realized there is no such thing as universal healthy food. A food that's healthy for one person can actually be harmful to another person. And that means even if I think I'm eating healthy because I'm eating spinach and avocado and oats, it turns out for me, those were the foods that were actually harming my gut. Those were the bad foods for me. You know what Hippocrates said? He says, one man's food is another man's poison. And then he said something really smart. Let food be thy medicine. Let thy medicine be the food. Right? And that's exactly mm -hmm. what we set, set out to do. Mm -hmm. But the reason I'm saying is the part was my sitting down and really becoming an expert from coming from becoming a non-expert. That means really the best way to really disrupt any industry is really not to be an expert in that industry. Because once you are an expert, you actually, the best you can do is to be an incrementalist. That means best you can do is to improve it by 10% or 15%. But if you want to change something 10 times or 100 times, you really have to come from outside the industry. It's not about thinking outside the box. It's about thinking in a completely different box. Yeah. So once you become really good at doing what you're doing, you become useless to that. Now, it's really, really great advice. Let me, let me ask you this. So to get to the valuation that you ended up getting to for your Series A and then your follow-on here. What valuation are you putting on Viome at this stage? It, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, I mean, it's, it's hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So it yeah. doesn't really matter. What matters is people believing this problem is hundreds of billions of dollars worth of problem that's going to be solved, right? Mm -hmm. That means if we can just find a way to reverse autoimmune diseases, that's a $200 billion market. So, if we can just, right? And what I want to try to understand here then is that how important are people in this process here? Because as you said, you know, you're not an expert in the space. You do understand the importance of the mm -hmm. initiative, and you certainly do understand that this is a billion people, you know, mm -hmm. type issue. So how, how do you go about finding the right people? You obviously can't do this alone, sure. and then do you bring them on as partners? Do you cut off equity for them? Like, how do you just bring us through the people side of the equation here? Of course. So I think that's a really a great point. The only reason you are able to attract the absolutely the best talent is the problem that you're solving is worth being solved. So when I decided this is the problem that I want to solve, I was on a CNBC and I said, I'm going to start a company with a moonshot of making illness optional. And that was the thing that we set out to do. Guess what happened? The head of the IBM Watson called me. He said, I have artificial intelligence that I can build for you that will actually help you solve this problem. You just need to get me the information, what's going on inside the human body. It turns out the same thing happened with Dr. Massier who has a PhD, she's a PhD in microbiology. She's an MD. She's working for Craig Venter, who is a father of synthetic biology, solving the problem of human longevity. She calls me, says, you know what? What's the point living long if people are going to be sick anyway? So I want to quit my job. I want to come join you and help you solve this problem. Dr. Vucevic is working at a Los Alamos National Lab where he's working on a biodefense technology, really thinking about 
if a bad actor were to get hold of something, how would we ever know what is making people sick? So they came up with a technology that can look on any bodily fluid from stool, saliva, urine, blood, and find out exactly what is going on inside the human body. Guess what happens? All the pieces that I needed to solve the problems were there. Dr. Vucevic, Dr. Messier, and Dr. Banwar are all now part of Wyo. Mm. All started because they all felt their legacy is going to be defined by solving this problem. So when you go back and let's assume you're working with Amazon, and if you go to Amazon and say, I want to sell this thing on Amazon, you are one of the millions of people. But if you can redefine that problem and saying, Mr. Bezos, would you want your legacy to be the richest man in the world? Or would you want your legacy to be the person who helped solve a problem of chronic diseases? Would you want to be part of the generation that finally took a bold action and said, we're going to eliminate suffering and chronic diseases, or we are going to be the generation that's going to punt it and watch our children and grandchildren suffer sure. from these chronic diseases? Sure. Guess what happens? People want to be part of the mission. People don't want a job. People want a mission. And the reason you're able to attract these talent is you give them a mission and a purpose. And here's the second part. When you hire these magnets, all other magnets come to you because they attract other talents. Oh my God, Dr. Massier is working with you. I want to come and join you. I can't believe Dr. Banwar is working with you. I'm going to come and join you. Mm -hmm. Right, And that's how you create an amazing team. Yeah. And guess what happens now? So the second part of the thing is every venture capitalist is start to call on you and say, what the hell are you doing? All of these people are coming and working for you. You must be doing something important. Well, we really don't need the money. Guess what happens? The minute you tell someone you don't need the money, they want to throw the money at you. Mm -hmm. If you tell them you need the money, they tell you, oh, we really need to understand what is going on. Mm -hmm. And then they start to tell you the terms. And if you tell them, you know what? We don't need the money. They want to give it to you even more. So so these yeah. people that are coming in then, are are you, I mean, obviously you've got an employee stock option pool. You're making yes. them, right. So yes. you're just, you're tapping into that. You're making them shareholders. And, and that's a, obviously a big piece of this as well. They're in it for the long run and they can see the, obviously the upside of that. Having, but, 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 but. Remember, mission, mission. There's nothing they would do if they thought they could sell marijuana and they can make money. They're not the, attracted by that. These are the people who are so successful that, of course, they want to be part of the growth and they are more in love with the growth and equity. But the part is what they really care about is the mission that you are after. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it totally, totally makes sense. Let me jump into a couple questions from the community here, uh, because I think some of these will uh, absolutely play into obviously what you're passionate about, and and I totally get it again about the specifics. And uh, I'll try not to beat that horse too often here. But Holger Scheib has uh, has a question uh, that I think is pretty relevant to where we're at in this conversation, and the, and the question really is why you, in terms of what skill or what talent or what gift do you believe that you possess? that sets you apart from others of a similar age who run a similar uh, you know, type of uh, initiative, similar types of endeavor, uh, yet struggle to, to make ends meet. So what, what is it about you? Well, again, yeah, as I said in the beginning, that the people, a lot of the people 
at our age focus on making money. And it's, as I said, it's really like having an orgasm. When you focus on it, you're just not going to get it, right? So you have to start thinking about what is it that you really enjoy. And second part of the thing is really, you know, believing in yourself, uh, having self-love. And that is, to me, is really the key to really going through ups and downs of life. Know that your life as an entrepreneur is like a heartbeat. It goes up and down. When you are down, all you have to do is hunker down and know that if you can survive this winter, the next beat is going to be up. And when you are on the top of the world, never get too cocky. Hold your friends together because winter is coming. Mm -hmm. And that is the key is to know and expect the ups and downs. When you have a smooth life, that means you're already dead. You just don't know it. You're dead Mm -hmm. because smooth line is always dead. And in terms of constantly learning is really the key is intellectual, having intellectual curiosity. The day you stop having the curiosity is the day you have already died, mm. right? So I know yeah. the point is you, every entrepreneur who's listening to it, really be thinking about not just about themselves, but also their children. It's not about taking your children, like say everyone says, I can only take the horse to the water. I cannot make it drink. I always tell people that is the wrong approach. What you really want to do is make the horse thirsty. Because if you make the horse thirsty, it will find its own water and it will drink. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take them to the water. You just have to make them thirsty. And for humans, the thirst comes from intellectual curiosity. Yeah, no, it's really good. And Wade, I know you had a question as well. Let me, uh, let me ask you this question from Mitch Russo. Uh, what Mitch asked was, uh, what did you learn later in the process of scaling your various companies that you wish you had known when you started? So it could be related to funding or technology or mindset. Um, so basically, what did you learn later in the process of scaling your businesses that you wish you would have known from the beginning? Well, again, it's, it is about only doing things that you love doing because every one of us, always know that we are going to go through, uh, every business is going to go through a tough time. And if you're simply doing it for reasons other than the fact that you just love doing that, you're going to call it quits much sooner than you normally would have. And that's really is the key is to understand that the thing you're doing is something you would have done, even if it was not a business. That means uh, to me, when what I'm doing is what I call my retirement. Retirement is all about doing things that you love doing and doing them as long as you want to do. Mm -hmm. But there is nothing else, right? So if you think of what you're doing is simply your retirement, then it doesn't really matter. You're just having a good time. Yeah, point well taken. Wade, I think you had a question as well, right? Uh, Yeah, I just was wanting to uh, get some broader insights. I love what you're talking about and how you're sticking to fundamental things, right? How many problems of the world would be solved if we just fundamentally went, I'm going to do better to others, right? I'm going to be kind to others. And just don't worry about anything else, right? Just those foundational things. But as foundational as that is, sometimes the message has trouble sinking in. And people need to have it reinforced. And so what I'm curious about is outside, in the outside world, are there companies or people that you are looking to, or perhaps that you could encourage us to look at them as well because you think they're doing this right. Here's another example, you know, just to reinforce that 
fundamental message. So who out there are you keeping an eye on or maybe would encourage us to take a look at? I mean, obviously, I mean, if you look at many of the people that I absolutely admire are the people that, uh, you know, have done amazing things in their lives. And almost all of them started with, you know, very modest beginnings. Whether you look at Richard Branson, you look at Jeff Bezos, you look at Bill Gates, and you look at Elon Musk. I mean, every one of them is not just done one industry they have gone after multiple sets of industries and disrupted every one of them because they all were focused on very different things. Uh, If you look at Jeff Bezos, I mean, his focus on customer and customer delight. That means all, I don't need to focus on shareholders and making sure I am most, I generate the most amount of profit I can. His focus on was, can I delight my customer as much as I can? And then I can sell them anything they need. Mm-hmm. And that that singular focus on customer satisfaction and customer journey is really what made him the richest man in the world. And if you look at the Richard, every company he starts is simple focus how that Virgin experience is going to be different, whether you're flying the Virgin America Airlines or you're buying any Virgin product. Every one of them has centered on the great Virgin experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, point so my point is same thing, Elon. I mean, you could say that obviously he got lucky with Tesla. Guess what? He reinvented SpaceX, right? And you know, one after industry, one after another industry that he's been able to part of is because he's thinking about what is the big mission. If I'm going to focus on getting rid of the fossil fuels, what do I need to do? Build this build the biggest battery, a gigafactory for batteries, build a electric car. Don't tell me no car company has been created in the last 60 years. And here we sit where the Tesla is worth more than the GM and Ford, right? What is it? Because he focused on the mission, and that's what drives. It's not they make millions of cars like Ford does. The cars they make, they created the cult of people who would give up their life to own that car. Yeah, Mm -hmm. point really, really well taken. Uh, Let's go to a question from Liz Hargreaves. Liz is asking about decision-making. So... As you look to make decisions, what processes are you are you putting in place? So do you do you categorize decisions into like major versus minor decisions and apply different processes? Uh, do you take you know these and, and make these major decisions alone or in consultation with others? Let's talk about decision making. Yeah. So to me, that you know, hiding a great team around you and essentially leaving them alone and allow each person on your team to be able to make the decision and and it's okay if they are wrong and in fact celebrating those things sometime when they are wrong that means they are going out and going beyond comfort and experimenting with the ideas that are different uh, and to some extent the best example I can give you is that you look at a basketball game in a basketball game you can see the best players in night, some nights will take four or five shots and all of them go in. And some other nights you will see them take 50 shots and half of them they miss. Guess what happens? On the nights they took every shot that went in, they have 10 points on the board. In the nights when they missed half the shots, they have 50 points on the board. And that is the lesson of life, that if you always want to be play safe, you're always going to be a 10-point man. But if you ever want to be a 50-point man, you get to get comfortable that half the times you're going to go out and shoot the ball and it's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And 
that is the lesson is that get comfortable with being wrong get comfortable with knowing that every idea that does not work that is not a failure a idea may not may or may not work but a failure happens when you give up an idea that doesn't work is simply a stepping stone to a bigger idea and a different idea yeah so if i'm reading between the lines there are you saying be willing to be wrong by bringing other people in who have differing points of view and also allowing them to make decisions and rather than punishing them for being wrong you reward them for trying something new that did not work and i really like in fact uh, you know jeff bezos principles coming back to it um and i was recently talking to him and you know the interesting thing he said was he rewards people for input and not output and it took me a while to understand why he says if i am making someone and giving them a bonus based on how much profit their business unit made then everybody wants to work for a no brainer business unit mm-hmm. when i simply say what was the input that means what the decisions you made what are your thought process for making a decision and i reward them for that then people want to work on the toughest problems whether they work or not work but he knows that these are the people someday are going to be able to create a completely new business it's it's interesting you say that um because i remember remember reading something at one point in time i don't know this to be true but that certain positions at amazon Bezos believes so much in the vision that he'll pay you to not work there. Right? So basically if he'll offer a certain amount of money for you to not go any farther and if you take it then he knows basically I'm kind of pairing it up with what you're saying that he thinks you don't believe in the vision then. I, I just I don't know if you know anything about that. Have you heard anything about him actually paying some people to not work there cuz it's more or less that principle, like they don't believe in the bigger vision? Oh, I think, you know, uh, in many of the companies do that, what they do is slightly different. They say, you know what, uh, uh, you know, I can tell you what I tell our employees in the company. If any point they, when they wake up in the morning and they don't jump out of the bed with excitement, call me and I would absolutely make sure they get a job at a same or higher salary somewhere else mm-hmm. because if you are here you want to be jumping out of the bed and say how amazing my life is and this is what you want to do and the day you feel this is not for you go get another job and I'll be thrilled to get you another job yeah hmm. wait i think you had a follow on yeah question. yeah well just sticking with this decision making because so much of business can get stuck in the decision-making process and the fear surrounding that, it struck me that one of the characteristics of a leader, you know, a, a business leader and everything, is a willingness to make a bad decision. And people will go, well, why would you ever be want to make a bad decision? And it's the fact that many times there is no good option. There is no one perfect option. And every one of my choices is going to have a bad aspect to it, but I have to be willing to step up and make whatever decision that is and accept the consequences. So I'd like to tie that in with a quote I heard came, I believe it was from Bill Clinton, about uh, worry about making the decision, but more than that, once the decision is made, worry about making the decision right. So what are your thoughts about I- accepting that you're going to have to make decisions that there is no perfect option? 
Well, you know, I really don't believe, you know, thinking about the decision that's right or wrong. The, to me, it is about making the best decision based on the information you have. That means if you are making absolutely the best decision based on whatever information you have, then it's neither it's not right or wrong. It is just the only decision that can be made. Over time, when you learn some new information, it may look like a wrong decision, but it couldn't have been wrong because that's the information you didn't have at the time you made the decision, right? So to me, it is about using the using the information that you have and analyzing it and making the best decision based on what you know. Mm -hmm. and, and it's right or wrong is only in hindsight. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about scaling a business. And so as you began to scale, you know, scale a couple of your business, obviously InfoSpace being one of them, and there are other examples as well of businesses that you've been able to scale. Talk a little bit uh, about uh, checks and balances in terms of once you started to generate some real money from these businesses, what checks and balances did you put in place to make sure that you didn't uh, start becoming wasteful? It's a question from Ainsley. So again, it, uh, you should never, ever be wasteful. And that's really the trick. That means from the day one, you set a culture that every cent that you spend is the money that you would have spent if this was your own money and that was a, that's the only dollar you had. It would that be the decision you make? Mm -hmm. And that is really the key is that means it doesn't matter whether you have investor or you have revenue always think about is that the penny I would have spent on uh, on this thing or not yeah. and really treating investor money or revenue like is as I said your own and one of the things that I find is that even though uh, here I am and of course I don't need the salary but the fact is even after re raising tens of tens of millions of dollars I still take no salary it's not because I can't, you know, company can't afford to pay me salary. It is simply my commitment to the company that I only benefit when the company does well. That mm -hmm. means any that they know if the company somehow fails, I walk away with absolutely nothing, not even the salary that I that I should have received, right? Mm -hmm. And that is what allows people to know that I'm 100% committed to what I'm doing. Yeah, no point well taken. And so is that the strategy then with every business that you go into is an exit? I mean, do you look from the get-go when you start InfoSpace, the current business, I mean, whichever one it is, do you go into that business with the with at least in the back of your mind or even the forefront of your mind, then the, the idea here is we're going to exit this business? And if so, what, what's kind of the, the, the mindset around that and what's the time frame around that? Well, that is actually the reason why people would never ever succeed is because they're always focusing on the question you ask. Exit is not something you should ever think about. So if my employees, when they ask me, what is our exit plan? I tell them exactly the same thing I'm about to tell you, which is you build a good business, you have great outcomes. You build a shitty business, you have a shitty outcomes. Mm -hmm. I can tell you exactly what the shitty outcome looks like, but I can't tell you what the great outcome looks like because great outcomes comes in hundreds of different shapes and sizes. Shitty outcomes comes in only in one size, right? So I can tell you if you don't build a great company, what happens? But if you do build a great company, Every option is open to you. You never have to worry about what is your exit plan because when you have an exit plan, you make wrong decisions. So if you say my exit plan when I start a company is to be acquired by, say, Walmart, 
guess what? You start to make every decision every day to think like Walmart, behave like Walmart because you want Walmart to buy you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You become one of them and they no longer needs you because you think like them. You don't think differently from them. Mm-hmm. Right. So my point is having an exit plan is what allows you not to have an exit. <laughs> All right. Point well taken. So let, let's go back then to what you've learned along the way here. Talk about some of the regrets. What are some of the things that you would, in hindsight now, as you look back on some of the business opportunities where you may have missed or some of the opportunities where it just simply didn't get to the level that you had hoped for it to get to? What, let's talk about some of those regrets or decisions that didn't work out in your favor and what, uh, you know, what, what did those look like? Honestly, I just never, ever look back on anything that could have, would have, should have. Mm. Because in life, you can't change what happened. You can only change what you are doing. You can't predict the future and you can't live in the past. So make every day count. That means every single day you go back and look at the stuff and saying, what's the decision that I am making now that is going to change the trajectory of where things go? Mm-hmm. And just keep focusing on every single day. Even the best strategist will tell you that it's always about block and tackle. That means every single day you keep moving forward and someday you're going to be closer to a goalpost than you ever thought. Mm-hmm. So taking a, com- uh, taking a company public is for a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, that's, that's the holy grail. The first company that you took public was, was Infospace. Take us back through that process. Are you, are you glad you took the company public? Was it a thrilling experience for you? Just I want to try to understand, because for a lot of entrepreneurs, that is the holy grail to take a, a company public. So was it everything that you had hoped for it to be? But again, I mean, that is just one of the thousand way of essentially doing an IPO is simply a financing event. Yeah. It is, it is simply beginning of another journey. It is not end of the journey. So to me, it, you know, doing an IPO is simply a financing mechanism. It is neither good nor bad. It is, it is what it is. It's like taking a money from a venture capitalist. It is, it is what it is, not good or bad. It is simply a way for you to grow. So to me, none of these things are really uh, meaningful uh, without the context. Some businesses would do well as a public company. Some businesses would do really well being independent. And some businesses thrive being uh, hitching their car to a different horse. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the, to me, it's all different outcomes that happen when you build a great business. And none of those outcomes happen when you actually build a shitty business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and, and to that end, though, let me ask you this, because now you've got two viable companies that are that are growing at a you know at a pretty good clip right now how do you how do you do that i mean how do you run to it's like elon musk you look at elon musk and solar city and tesla and so on so i mean how with moon express and viome and and so on like how do you do that so that actually is really focusing on where where you where the business needs the most attention and also going back to the question that you asked me building a great team around you that means i'm able to move into different things uh because i know whatever things i'm not focused on i have a great team that is currently focused on it and if they need me they will call me that means always be available to everyone 
at the same time to be able to be above everything so you can see what's falling on the floor. That means the more you get involved in the weeds, you're simply like everyone else, you're looking at the trees. So your job, my job really is to be focused on looking at the forest, not looking at the trees, because that's where I can add the most value. And then I don't mind diving deep. If there is something I see that's falling on the floor, I dive deep and I get the hell out of there as mm-hmm. fast as I can. Yeah. So obviously a visionary and really do appreciate you spending as much time with us today as you have. What if you were, I mean, if you were a betting man and and looking in the future now and seeing what's coming five, 10 years from now, where I know Richie's a big uh, proponent of of voice and obviously with AI and everything else that's going on uh, using that visionary mind of yours. What, what do you see as being some of the biggest opportunities here over the next five to 10 years? I mean, Next, you know, we are living in the most innovative decade in the human history. Next 10 years are going to fundamentally change the trajectory of how humanity lives. I think entrepreneurs are going to essentially become the superpowers by solving the problems that only could be done by the nation states. And the exponential technologies are really not only each individual technology in itself, but convergence of them is really going to be the biggest game changer. Half of the Fortune 500 companies are going to go out of business in the next 10, 15 years. That means the king is dying. That means any one of us have a chance to become the next king. And the technologies that are going to be completely decimating these industries are going to be uh, things like artificial intelligence, augmented reality. The health sector is going to be completely reinvented where things about you, you know, are about suppressing your symptom is going to be all about not being sick. And, you know, so as I said, the reason I'm focused on Wyoming is because I absolutely believe that we will soon be able to find that maintaining your gut balance is really key to living healthy. And, you know, I really believe not just the health sector, the education sector is going to be reinvented because the problems that our education was designed for teaching us skills and skills are now becoming obsolete by the time we graduate. So the new way of rethinking the education system about learning to learn, learning to adapt, learning to collaborate, all that will change. So there are technologies that are going to change and the sectors that have to be reinvented and to me, there is no better time to be an entrepreneur and going out and focusing on any one of these things from education to healthcare to energy to uh, water to food, agriculture, every one of those industry from you know self-driving cars to using CRISPR to modify your genetic editing to living on different planets. All those things will happen right in our lifetime. Yeah. Well, Naveen, look, it's been an honor and a uh, privilege to have you here on Beyond Eight Figures. And I know you're a man in demand, so for you to cut out almost an hour out of your day here to be with us is absolutely appreciated and uh, certainly appreciate you sticking with the interview here. Uh, you. you know, it's, it's my goal. It's my job to try to ask the questions that I know our tribe is uh, is thinking about here. And uh, at the end of the day, you have every right to say yes or no to answering those questions. Thank so you. Thank you, I totally sir. get it. that and really do appreciate it. And if people want more information uh, about you and what you're up to in the world, we're obviously you got NaveenJane.com, but where are some of the best places for them to go? They can always find me on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Okay, my friend. All right, Naveen Jane, N-A-V-E-E-N-J-A-I-N. Awesome having you here on Beyond Eight Figures. And again, folks, you can go to Naveen jane.com to get more information about everything that he is up to pretty uh pretty interesting stuff richie yeah 
Yeah, no, that was that was great. I love, 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 love that. that oh, we uh, lost you there. Hold on. Oh, keep going. There we go. Got that, you back. Uh, no, I was. Yeah. that was a dramatic pause. <laughs> dramatic pause. Uh, um, yes, that he stayed the course, and there was that little tension in the beginning, and then he still stayed with us because it's. I, I get where you were coming from, yeah. right? We have this idea. We're trying to figure out how to start, grow, scale, exit, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, but just like we said in the first, uh, when we were talking in Reinvention Radio, the one thing that's been in common with the people Reinvention and the people in on the eight figures is they really love it. It's something bigger than themselves and mm-hmm. it's working on themselves. And it's like, no matter how deep you want to go after the numbers, although they're very important. Yeah. It's, it was awesome. It was tension for yeah, a minute. I, I but- mean, look, I, I honestly, I, I was hoping that he would be a little more open to the discussion because there was no shortage of, uh, let's just say controversy, uh, around some of the things that have taken place. And, Reality is it's always good, I think, to address those head on and clear the air. And when mm-hmm. you're not talking about those issues, then, then it, 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 it exactly it just it brings up more questions. And I wanted to give him an opportunity to address some of those issues that have been reported over the years. Um, but he chose not to, and he didn't want to go down that path, and I totally get it. And he told us when he stayed there that he doesn't look back. That he doesn't look back, right? And there is definitely something to be said because I, as a 25-plus-year entrepreneur, I mean, I certainly have been guilty of regretting decisions that I've made and living with some of those regrets and not being able to move beyond those regrets and, mm-hmm. and maybe even hanging on to some things longer than I should have. And so, you know, it is interesting to hear how, you know, he's looking at it like, uh, okay, you know, I think the implication, at least there was something implied there that, hey, maybe something happened. I'm not going to talk about it. I don't look backwards. And look what he's been able to do even, you know, in, in spite right. of some of those things that have taken place. So, I mean, I respect him for not wanting to go down those roads. I respect him for not saying, you know, hey, here's my exact net worth or here's exactly how much our company is grossing or here's exactly how much we've exited this business for. Because in some cases, you know, people use that information against Mm -hmm. other people or feel like, you know, I mean, like when we went out to the tribe, so many of the questions that came in that they would ask a billionaire were questions along the lines of, are you happy uh, mm-hmm. now that you have your money? How are you going to make this world a better place? And like there are certain expectations that people have of others when they have a certain amount of money in their bank accounts. Right. Mm-hmm. So, look, I again, I totally respect that he didn't want to go down those paths. I'm really, really glad that he stuck around and answered a lot of the questions that we were able to pose and questions from the community as well. So mm-hmm. really interesting interview. And these are the kind of interviews we hope to bring you consistently here on Beyond Eight Figures for Richie Ote and Mary Galay will be back. I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyond8figures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.